every single thing that happens to you, good, bad, or otherwise, happens for a reason and to get you to the next level, to get you to that next stage. Nothing is a mistake. Nothing is an accident. That was Paige Novick. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, and welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I hope everyone had an excellent weekend and your week is off to a great start. As always, thanks for tuning in and all your great feedback on the podcast. I appreciate your DMs and questions on social and keep those emails coming. MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the list of Marnie on the Move podcasts on your app. Click on write a review. Share what you like about the podcast, your favorite episodes, what's inspiring you. Tell your friends to listen. Email them a link. Post it on your social platforms and tag Marnie on the Move. Spread the love. Also, sign up for our newsletter, The Download, to find out about upcoming events and summits this summer. Great deals, offers, and giveaways. Now, on to today's guest. Rooted in spirituality, born and raised in New York City into a family of entrepreneurs. Paige Novick was a young college student living in Paris, studying French literature and language at La Sorbonne, when a life-changing opportunity to intern with Karl Lagerfeld at Chanel presented itself, and the course of her life and career shifted in a whole new direction, sparking her talent and passion for design. Today, she is a world-renowned award-winning jewelry designer, beauty and fragrance industry disruptor, crystal healer, and teacher. Her name has become synonymous with effortless style and refined, chic pieces that strike a balance between of-the-moment relevance and timeless design. She is a member of the CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Designers of America, for those of you who do not work in fashion, and the winner of the Fashion Group International Rising Star Award for Fine Jewelry in 2015. On today's episode, we converse about her love of all things French, the college internship that changed her life, where her talent for design and passion for spirituality began, her entrepreneurial journey, the transformative meditation retreat that shifted her personal and career evolution turning routine into ritual, intentional beauty and mindfulness, living in alignment, and the inspiration behind her newest collection, Gem Story. Gem Story is a line of five gemstone-infused multi-sensory essential oils, dream, calm, balance, passion, and strength, created in collaboration with natural beauty brand, Bios Apothecary. These multi-sensory oils, depending on the healing intention, are scented with therapeutic essences of refreshing citrus, calming lavender, and balancing ylang-ylang. They are infused with crystals like tiger's eye, quartz crystal, black tourmaline, garnet and rose quartz crystal, 
peridot, Ethiopian opal, and more. Naturally, Paige designed a beautiful collection of pendants that match each of the oils in her signature fine jewelry style with the chain, three diamonds, and the healing crystal. Also on today's episode, Paige talks about the programs she has been teaching to educate consumers on the vibrational energy of crystals, their transformative and empowering powers, and the healing programs she is offering. Paige shares a few of her favorite motivational authors and books empowering her at the moment and the workouts and wellness routines that fuel her for success. I hope you enjoy. But before we get started, today's episode is fueled by Sun Potion. I am such a huge fan of their super high quality organic tonic herbs, mushrooms, and superfoods. I have been using a variety of their transformational foods and supplements for the past three years. They have been major game changers for my overall health and wellness. Lately, I have been using the pine pollen and ashwagandha for hormones and balance, chaga for my immune system, and my favorite, cordyceps, for extra energy pre-workout. I simply add them to my coffee or my smoothie every day, and I'm on the move. Head over to their website, sumpotion.com, and use the code MARNIEONTHEMOVE for 10% off. Now, on to the episode. Where did your career in fine jewelry begin? Well, interestingly enough, so many things happened to me in life by accident or seemingly by accident. I was actually a French language and literature major, and I was living and working in Paris when a friend asked me on a whim if I could take over his internship at Chanel. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I did. And that was back in the day when you weren't vetted and there was no interview process. I literally just showed up on Rue Cambon and there I was next to Karl Lagerfeld. And uh, I think my fate was sealed. I was on a little bit of a different trajectory, but then I shifted course very quickly after being bitten by the fashion bug. Did you love studying at Sorbonne? I loved it. I loved it. I'm still such a French nerd. I read and study every day of my life. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I'm also a French nerd as you well. You are? Yes. I'm a I Francophile. Knew I big time. Uh, me too. How did we not discover that? I don't know. I lived in Paris. So when I was like eons ago in college and I literally like my parents had to cut me off financially to get me to come home. I did not want to leave. And my entire career, I've been trying to find a way to get back there, to move there and work there, but like not actually work there, to have my business out of yeah. New York, but to live in Paris. So well, if you figure it out, count me in. Okay. <laughs> I'm so right there said, with you. So cool. So, and Karl Lagerfeld. Wow. So what was that like? Very intimidating. Like, what I did mean, you do there? Was, I mean, I was like an assistant to the assistant, to like the lowest, you know, level But I was still there and I was in his presence and around the stylists and the models and dressing them and getting coffee and making coffee, you know, all this stuff 21-year-olds do. But uh, he was unbelievably inspiring but incredibly intimidating. I remember that he spoke like seven languages fluently and a mile a minute. And he would just go from one to the next. I mean, a true polyglot. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so how long did you work for Karl Lagerfeld? It was over Chanel? a summer. It was, it was a, a summer, summer internship. Awesome. And so then then you got into jewelry design? Well, I started with my own handbag line. Okay. And it was called Fru, F-R-O-U by Paige Novick. Okay. And it was kind of during the Kate Spade days. Right. And uh, I did that for, I had the business for 10 years. 
And then I was recruited all of a sudden by, you know, bigger brand names like Betsy Johnson and Nine West and JLo to design their bags. So I decided to masquerade under somebody else's name, close my business and start a new chapter. Right. And during that time, I got married. I had my child and I was ready for something new. Then what was next after that? Next after that, I worked for Cotton Incorporated in the fabric library, and I started doing trend forecasts, and I moved up pretty quickly, and by the time I was 23, I was traveling around the world creating fashion forecasts for both home and apparel for all cotton manufacturers who used domestic American cotton, so we would go to 13 countries in three weeks, and I would present these forecasts to all different suppliers, and it was an incredible experience. And then how did you get into, like when did you first, when did you start your first company? I started my first company when I was 26. Okay. And I started doing hair accessories. Okay. Because I was working for a company, Riviera, in the late 90s that did hair accessories. They did, um, you know, fabric and, you know, bows when that whole trend was in velvet and very, very frou-frou. And so I felt like there was a void in the market for clean, modern, almost like little edgy, masculine hair accessories. Everything was very like overly embellished. Right. So I left Riviera and I started a small company on my own. And I started by taking hardware. I went to the hardware store and bought nuts and bolts. I remember it was near my apartment in the West Village and I had them cast in metal and I put them on the, just a clean metal barrette and we made it in matte gold and it was really sculptural and architectural and it was masculine, feminine. And my first order was Barney's and this was back in the day. I remember it, they were like, they ordered like 350 pieces, wow. my first order. And so I was working out of my dad's office, who's now deceased, but at the time we were working out of, um, you know, a small office and then we had to expand and so we took over the lunchroom so we ended up having to buy everybody like pizza every day because they had nowhere to sit so we felt so guilty and then eventually I got my own office and so the hair accessories were my, was my foray into like the accessory world but then I was doing hardware so I put the hardware on handbags and then we just evolved into a handbag brand was it just you or did you have partners? It was me. <laughs> and, you know, because I didn't have any formal design training, I didn't go to FIT or Parsons, it was kind of a, a mixed blessing because right. on one hand, I didn't have any preconceived notions about design. So I just did what I wanted. I kind of designed from my gut, which was great because I'm sure casting nuts and bolts for a hair accessory wouldn't be like in your design class. But at the same time, the learning curve was a little greater for me because I had to figure things out technically. And Were your parents also entrepreneurs? Yes. So did you grow up in that kind of environment? Where, Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about how where entrepreneurship started for you. Yeah, of course. Well, my dad was when he passed away, he had had a home furnishing store. But before that, he had a textile company. But he had actually started when he was 17 in the mailroom and worked his way up and then eventually bought the company 25 years later. So it was really like a success story. So he was for sure my role model. But then my mom was a teacher. And then one day, like a friend gave her some silver jewelry. He was like moving away. And he said, do me a favor, just sell these to your friends or keep them. And sold them to a few neighbors at the time. We grew up in the city. I lived 
I was going to ask, where did you grow up? Yeah, my mom was on the west side. My dad was on the east side, which kind of accounts for my sensibility of like up, down, down, down a bit. But uh, so she sold the pieces to her friends and then they asked for more. And the next thing she knew, she was like sourcing and, and, you know, building a collection. And, you know, P.S., like 35 years later, my mom is a fine jeweler, sells privately, different type of business than mine. But it was, you know, I was immersed in this. Tell me about your fine jewelry collection and how you got started designing. So what happened was I never had an interest in jewelry to the point where my mom would give me, you know, earrings for my birthday or a ring and I would say, you know what, I don't really want them. Just I, I'll borrow them. <laughs> I right. don't want it as a gift. And then one day I woke up and I was like, jewelry. <laughs> it was like something came to me and at that moment it was like jewelry now and I think because of my background in in forecasting I just sort of felt like it was coming and in a new way so when I what happened was after I closed my business and you know had these gigs with Nine West and J-Lo and Betsy Johnson I took a little time it was when I was pregnant I had my child to kind of consult and think about what I wanted to do and I just created some leather bracelets, men's leather bracelets. And I have a friend who, manager of Paul Smith, and he got them in. He did me a favor. And next thing you know, John Mayer bought one over the holidays, and it was listed in People Magazine's best gifts of the season. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, like, Paul, the people called me from Paul Smith, and they're like, okay, we don't want to sell a $200 bracelet. We want to sell a $2,000 suit. So we're just fobbing these calls off to you. Like, you deal with them. We don't want to deal. It's, like, too time-consuming. We're getting like 500 calls a day. Oh, wow. So I was in business doing leather bracelets, men's and women's. And then I just slowly started adding to it. And I, my goal was to do fine jewelry. But then the recession hit, 2008. Okay. And I was doing a trunk show at Bergdorf Goodman. And we decided like last minute, I just, again, it was sort of like an intuitive decision to translate all of our ideas into costume or sterling silver because nobody was buying like $5,000 necklaces and like right. $10,000 cups and it just wasn't the time. So we, the sensibility was very fine and it was refined, but I switched it to costume. So mix of brass and silver, but I used semi-precious stones like lapis and amalekite. And, and we had an incredible like success because that was when people were buying like the wow necklace. We were at the forefront of statement jewelry. It wasn't even intentional. Just, you know, they just kind of divine intervention and the timing was right the planets were aligned and we really had a great run with our big statement pieces because they were very elevated and they looked expensive but they were within the price point that people were that made them accessible right I think that's like a big part of understanding your business too you know you might want to make something or create something but if there's not a market for it then you know there's not going to be that success exactly So what happened was I started to see after, you know, a few years of statement jewelry, I started to see as the economy came back, people were moving more towards delicate pieces and my pieces were not delicate. And I knew I couldn't do costume in a delicate way because it wouldn't be me. So I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do fine. Now is the time for me to test it. I'll just do a capsule collection and let me start with 14 karat because the economy hadn't completely rebounded yet. So I did a small collection in 14 karat and I called it fine, P-H-Y-N-E. And we showed it to Bergdorf's. They loved it, but they didn't have case space at the time. We showed it to Saks and they moved quickly. 
the next thing we knew, we were in business. So was your other collection still at Bergdorf's? The costume? Yeah. It was for many seasons. And then we just kind of shifted into fine because it was too confusing. We had too many. What are we about? You know, what is our message? So we did this collection and we got into Saks and we expanded it and it was great. We were kind of the beginning of that nouveau you know, design sensibility that was, yeah. I would say 2012, 2013, where they were personal. It was personal everyday jewelry, but it had an edge, but it was still feminine. Yes. It wasn't aggressive, like no right angles, you know, it was like all sort of sculptural, which is my sensibility. So right. that was great. But then many other brands jumped on the bandwagon in 14 carat. And so you know, we lost a lot of our market share because there was more competition and we were making everything locally. So our costs were higher, you know, than bigger brands who were able to buy more volume or have it produced overseas. So we decided to shift into 18 carat, which for us was seamless because we're small and we're nimble. You're so good at evolving with your brand. I mean, I think it's such a hard thing to do well, so, thank okay. you. <laughs> thank like, you. Wait. But I mean, I'm leaving out all like the growing pains. Well, no, I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear that too. I went to 18 karat gold, which was, you know, easy for us to transition. But when you're dealing with big conglomerates like Saks, big corporations that plan six, 12 months in advance, it was not seamless. So we ended up eating $250,000 worth of jewelry that was 14 karat that was there. And so that was quite stressful. Yeah, so we're I like, oh, imagine. let's do 18 carat. We can be competitive. We're making it overseas. Great. And didn't think about the fact that where is that 14 carat going to go? It's, it can't sit in the same case with 18 carat. So it wasn't so seamless in ah. the end. Anyway, so from there, we were in 18 carat. It was great for a moment. <laughs> but then the, the whole landscape shifted in retail. So much competition. It became price-driven you know, the customer became more savvy. You had more, you know, online competition. And it was just a different world. It also went from being more of an asset purchase to mainly consignment, which is very, very difficult for any business, but especially a self-funded one. And I was really stressed all the time. And I was, I love to design and it's an expression of myself and my creativity but I don't love to design 200 pieces a year. I love to design, you know, smaller, more, uh, just things that really come from the heart and that are really me. And I found that I was not in alignment with who I am. And I was spending 95% of my time doing what I'm not good at and what I don't enjoy doing. Right. And every day felt like I was climbing up a mountain backwards. And that's not what your intention was when you started the business. No, exactly. It just, you know, it uh, detoured somewhere and I got caught up as anybody would. You know, the stores are requesting jewelry. You're like, okay, I'll do one consignment door. I'll do another. Next time, next thing you know, it's 10 and you're not really making money and you're just producing, producing, producing and running, you know, and I have a small, really strong team, but I oversee all the different areas and I wasn't happy. I just wasn't happy. And I had discovered meditation a few years before and through Susie Aloff Schwartz. And I think I mentioned when the student is ready, the teacher appears. She was just opening her meditation studio in L.A., which was now they just celebrated their fifth year. So this was probably five and a half years ago. 
and she took me under her wing and she taught me everything she knew and I was ready. Like I was so thirsty and I absorbed everything and I was reading and studying and working. So I had these two very separate lives. One where I was really immersed in meditation and mindfulness and all these alternative practices and the other where I was running on a treadmill every day and there was such a disconnect. And they say that when it's when you can't make a decision or you can't feel find your way out of the muck, if you can't figure out a way out of like this trap or this prison, somehow the universe figures it out for you when it just gets so bad it can't get any worse. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what happened. And I had an agent who took my jewelry to Paris for a fashion week and didn't have paperwork with him, crossed the border in the Eurostar, and the jewelry was confiscated at customs for almost six months. Oh my God. My entire collection, minus about 30 pieces. So I had 225 pieces sitting in customs for six months. I lost all my sales. I couldn't have any appointments. I had no revenues. It was rock bottom. And what did you do? Well, I had a tantrum. (laughs) (laughs) And I did everything I possibly could to fix it, from going to Paris twice, going, speaking to lawyers, dealing with customs brokers. There is nothing I didn't do. Until I went to a tarot reader who I love. What's his name? His name is Anthony, and he reads at Namaste Bookstore on 14th Street. I love that store. And he is such... A wonderful person. So you had a tarot reading. Had a tarot reading. And this was early December of 2018, 2017. And he said, just let go of it. It's not coming back till early February, end of January, early February. Just forget about it. Let go. Put your energy elsewhere. It's coming back, but you've got a good, you know, four to six weeks. Well, P.S., it came back on February 1. Wow. Minus 14 pieces because somebody helped themselves to some Christmas gifts. (laughs) I was just happy to have it back. But by this time, it's like I had personified the jewelry and it was my enemy at this point. By the time it came back, I had like no use for it. (laughs) So you just let it go. Well, yeah, I just let it go. And I wasn't attached to it in the same way. So it was one of these like gifts in disguise Because having that time and that space, those six weeks where I didn't have to stress about it, I didn't have to worry, I knew it was coming back, I had to accept the reality of the fact that I didn't have it. And I had to figure out a plan B. Right. And it was actually the best thing that could have happened. I think a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, I think people don't really, um, you know, if you're not into meditation or you're not like in this like self-exploration stage of your life, like you don't, you can't recognize that that's what it is exactly but when you become present and that's Mm -hmm. what meditation teaches you to do to become present even when you're not meditating right you know when you're stirring the pot stir the pot when you're in the shower be in the shower right so when you become present you notice things and you become open and then things show up that you might not have seen when you were just like you know running 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 going nonstop. And so is that how you started? So while you did not have your jewelry and you had discovered meditation five years earlier, yeah, is that how you, the next phase of your business, which is... Lifestyle. Lifestyle. 
Yeah. Is that how you started that? Yeah. And I'll tell you exactly what happened in January of 2018. I was like, wow, I've got six weeks. I'm going to start teaching, volunteering at my son's school, teaching meditation. So I came in, he was in fifth grade at the time, and I taught meditation for six months to fifth graders. And that was the greatest gift. I mean, I was helping them, but actually they helped me more. Mm -hmm. And it was just the most satisfying experience. But the reason it was so, for me, so profound Mm -hmm. is because when I left there, like I would do it for 20 minutes to 30 minutes and I would make it fun and creative and interactive and collaborative, I would leave there and I was on such a high that it it was really, really profound because I didn't feel that way running my business. Right. And I had, and because I was, more present and more tuned into my body. I noticed this. I'm like, I literally would leave and it would, I wouldn't even know how I would get back to my office because I was floating on air. Yeah. The feeling was so powerful. And I thought, okay, I need to do more, more of this. There's something here. And so then what happens is when the path presents itself, follow it. So more things started showing up people I would meet who were in the wellness space, the wellness community. I started you know, coaching people, people would come to me. Um, I, I met somebody in my, in a cafe in my building who happened to be like a businessman, but also a crystal healer. And then he turned me on to this incredible, uh, coach, business coach who's podcast podcast. I listen to every day, Robin Sharma. Okay. It was a big inspiration for me. And then I met our dear friend, Melody. Yes. She's wonderful. Wonderful. And I, met this woman, Michelle, from Bios Apothecary in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and she has a personal care brand, and we had a meeting of the minds, and then we collaborated on this essential oil and gemstone collection called Gem Story. Right, which is what we have here today. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so now, you know, a year later, I truly feel like I'm in alignment. I have three arms to my business. The fine jewelry is smaller, but everything in the collection truly reflects my sensibility like it is 100% me every bit of it there's nothing superfluous so it feels right it's smaller it's more curated it's manageable then I have the oils which have really really taken off we thought it was going to be like a quick collaboration one season but we're now you know in about 30 35 doors and then I have the programming where I lead workshops and you know teach and, and do different type of I want to hear more about Gem Story, but since we were just talking about meditation, I just want to rewind for a second. Tell me a little bit about you. So you studied with Susie Yaloff Schwartz, who used to be an editor that I've worked with for years. Right. And then I remember when she left and moved to the West Coast and started her meditation studio. And there was a huge unplug when she started her meditation studio unplug. And there was a huge article in the New York Times about her. And so you went and you studied with her. What kind of meditation? I studied with her. Actually, yeah. our families go to the same resort every Christmas. So we'd spend like 10 days immersed in it every uh-huh. year. And then I would go back and do all of the work and kind of report to her and check in. And then I did go to LA and she'd come to New York. And But then I just sort of at that point took it on my own. And then I became certified in crystal healing because it just made sense given all my work with gemstones. So what kind of meditation were you doing? really like mindfulness okay. meditation. It's not TM, right. but it's it's all very much about being in the present moment and connecting with 
your power, your mm-hmm. personal power and learning how to control your emotions, you know, take control of your emotions and stepping into your power. So very, very empowering. A lot of visualizing. Yeah. You took some classes in crystals and Yeah, I became about certified. certified. And what was so interesting about that was I went into it thinking it was going to be very woo-woo, meaning, you know, mystical and hard to explain because I didn't know anything about crystals, quite honestly. But I worked with gemstones and I was aware of certain colors that I gravitated towards as opposed to others. And they weren't necessarily colors that I would wear, you know, in my clothing. But for gems, like I always wanted greens and opals and and peridot and all like the watercolors but not so much like the reds or oranges. And so it was really interesting to me. I was very curious why that is. And so when I studied healing crystals, first of all, most of it was earth science and metaphysics, which I wasn't happy about either because I didn't do well (laughs) growing up. Like in high school, it was kind of like my greatest nightmare to have to redo that. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of karmic retribution for something. But what I learned was really life-changing and that crystals are alive. They've been under the Earth's surface for thousands of years. And as a result, they vibrate at different frequencies depending on the color, shape, size. And so they are used in modern technology everywhere. Crystals are everywhere. And crystal quartz has the highest vibration. Mm -hmm. So it is used in clocks, calculators, watches, computers, credit cards, because their vibrations will align with you know, a battery to keep the time. And it's really, really powerful when you learn how much crystals are used, like by you know, people that you would know, never everyday think would be lives. using them. Yeah. In our everyday lives. So they're not woo-woo. They're actually real. So when you learn to use crystals as a tool for empowerment, which I'll speak about in a moment, it changes the whole conversation. And it's not about the crystals being magic. The magic comes from us. But the vibrations that they hold will align with our chakras or our energy centers right. to amplify whatever thought we program in it. So that means that it has to come from us. So whatever, if you're going to program your crystal with a thought, you want it to be positive, you want it to be clear and simple, but it really comes from us. Right. So when I learned that, that was really life-changing. That was a game-changer for me. How does that work? What's the process? The process is you charge up your crystal. So you hold it in your non-dominant hand and then you allow yourself to just kind of visualize what it is that you want. You set an intention and you visualize that and then you thank your crystal. And then when you meditate, the vibrations of the crystal will align with your meridian centers, much, very much like a tuning fork with okay. a musical instrument. It's the same concept. So you are actually, your crystals, if you think of the crystals as your assistants, you're doing the work, but they're kind of behind the scenes, like getting you there faster. And so that's what's so empowering because you realize you have the power. Everything that we need is already within us. It's not about manifesting something that doesn't exist. It's all there. So the crystals will just help get you there faster. And when I started telling that to people and telling my story and talking about crystals, everyone that I spoke to was so blown away because the perception of crystals was so different. It was so mystical and woo-woo and hard to really understand, but this makes it much more accessible and tangible. Crystals have ebbed and flowed throughout history as whether they're woo-woo or real and in certain circles, people believe in them. I think they're getting, they're coming more into the mainstream. At least that's what it feels like. 
Well, I think it's sort of the, you know, whenever there's one trend, there's always like the opposition. That's the one thing that I learned through fashion forecasting. There's always the opposing trend. Right. So, you know, with modern technology, everything that's so high tech and, and synthetic, you know, we're coming back to ancient rituals and practices and, and appreciating and recognizing, you know, their benefits. And, you know, since the beginning of time, crystals and essential oils were used for healing because people used what they had access to. And so it's wonderful now to rediscover them in a modern context. If this is something that my listeners wanted to get into and explore, what would be a good starter crystal? I would say crystal quartz and amethyst would Mm -hmm. be the two actual crystals if you'd want to have in your home. And crystal quartz is the highest vibrational stone. And it's really about its protection and it's um, calming and it's cleansing and purifying. And it's a really, really powerful stone for manifesting. Okay. And then amethyst is an incredible stone that's been used in healing. It's great for sleep. It's great for bringing family together. It's a very calming stone as well. And it also speaks to the third eye chakra, coordinates with that brow chakra, which is right in In between between. your eyebrows. Exactly. And that's where we experience intuition. Where would you put them in your home? Like, Well, I have like a little area where I, it's just sort of, you know, just a little corner in my living room that's mine where I put my books. I have some crystals. I have a nice candle. It's a place where I like to sit and, and meditate. So it's nice to create your own little, you know, shrine area. You could yeah. put a photograph, whatever feels good to you. Like part, like creating like a, a ritual space where you exactly. can sit with your crystals. And then do you ever carry them with you? Like I do. You have a beautiful crystal on your neck oh, too. Oh, thank you. I wear it. <laughs> this is part of the rapture collection. Oh, okay. so I wrapped my designs around the rocks. Yeah, we didn't really talk about your collection. So let's do that because that is a beautiful necklace. Oh, thank you. Well, I've incorporated the... This is your jewelry rock, collection. Yes. yes. So I have the fine jewelry, but now I introduced a demi-fine collection of pendants that are around these rough crystals because I think they're so beautiful and I love that we can rediscover them in their raw, rough form. But then what's so fun for me is to embellish them in a really refined and delicate way so you right. have kind of the juxtaposition of rough and refined. You've taken your talent for healing with crystals and meditation and design and jewelry and you've created the gem story collection which is essential oils infused with crystals and so talk to me a little bit about that because that is kind of disrupting the beauty scene right now well thank you well the idea is to turn routine into ritual right by that i mean you know there's so many things that we do every day the mundane that can be done in a more mindful way and that quiets us down. It forces us to stop, you know, to pause, to not just be going, going, multitasking. We're not even supposed to be multitasking. It wasn't even a word. (laughs) And so by having an essential oil that you literally just dab on the pulse points, first of all, it's a whole ritual to just put it on delicately. You don't just spray your perfume and go out the door. So it forces you to stop and dab it on. And then what I like to do is to inhale and then set an intention for the day and let the oil serve as a reminder. And so that's a really nice way to kind of force yourself to get present in whatever you're doing. But for me, I, I've 
made all of my morning routines into rituals. And there are so many things that we do every day that feel like routines can be deadening, but rituals right. can be awakening. And so it's a slight shift, just a micro shift that is could be actually dramatic. And what's the micro shift? Is it like just in your mind, like your perspective? Well, it all comes from the mind. So when you notice your mind wandering, so, you know, let's say my morning ritual, I wash my face with a cleanser and I put on a serum and then I put on an oil and then my moisturizer. So instead of doing it and thinking about, oh, what happened yesterday or what's going to happen later, or, you know, my to-do list, I say, you know what? It's five, five minutes. That's all this is, five minutes. For these five minutes, I'm going to focus on the feeling of washing my face with this cleanser and then anointing myself with the oil. And, you know, the truth is the, the, this is actually a shamanic philosophy that the mere act of anointing oneself is considered a sacred act of self-recognition. Also embellishing yourself or adorning yourself is considered a sacred act of self-recognition. So I realized that all the things that I do in my brand are really about self-recognition. So right. I thought that was interesting. I just, it's only that recently that I discovered that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's your brand, right? So it comes back to you and that's what it should be because it should be doing, you know, you're doing what you love and you should be, it should be a ritual, not a routine. Exactly. Right? And self-recognition is just another word for empowerment. So tell me a little bit about Gem Story and the different essential oils that you have in the collection. Sure. So there are five different oils mm -hmm. and they're all themed and each oil corresponds to the crystals inside them. So their healing properties amplify one another. And there's crystal quartz in all of them because crystal quartz will actually strengthen the power of any crystal that it sits with. We have dream, which is lavender and chamomile with amethyst, which the combination is very, very calming and relaxing. And I think as I showed you earlier, yeah. you feel, you smell it and you feel like you're getting a massage. You know, so it's really, really nice to have at your bedside to do when you want to relax, maybe before a meditation or just feeling anxious, carry it with you in your handbag. And they really, it's really medicinal. So it's, it's wonderful. And then there's calm, which is grapefruit and ylang ylang with peridot, which is a light green gemstone, which is also a water color, very, very calming, very relaxing. And that one smells very beachy to me. You, you feel like you're on a beach vacation. So it's a lovely way to transport yourself yes. you know, to that happy place. And then there's balance, which is my favorite. And that is rosewood and jasmine. So it's very floral. That's the one I put on yes. when we sat down to and do the podcast. I love it. Oh, thank you. With tiger's eye and tiger's eye is the, uh, quintessential stone of empowerment and it's a very very grounding stone what color is it it has brown with it's brown with gold flecks and some black flecks it used to tiger's eye used to be considered more valuable than diamonds and then there's passion which i love as well and that's frankincense which is really earthy and yes. kind of aphrodisiac-y mixed with rose and so it's floral but earthy at the same time and those stones are rubies and rose quartz so it's deep red and, and really sensual. And then the last one is strength with black tourmaline, which is for protection to kind of ward off negativity. I probably have and to wear this all day, every day. <laughs> well, that one's very awakening. Oh my God, so this is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's black pepper with vanilla. So it's sweet but spicy. What you're doing is so revolutionary because you're combining 
fragrance, which is super personal with the essential oils, and then crystals and energy and fine jewelry and design. Well, we wanted to synthesize everything that we were doing. And also, it's really the synthesis of all the different areas of our brand. And also, we wanted to kind of elevate the idea of essential oils and take them out of just the you know, medicinal aromatherapy context, but into something that feels luxe, but also accessible. They're accessibly priced. So, you know, the jewelry is a whole other conversation. So maybe you start with the oils and you get a little bit of gemstones. It's kind of democratizing the concept of fine jewelry and gems. So you could wear it not only as an adornment, but you could wear it And just you know that you have it on, kind of like what lingerie is. Very personal. So you have this whole evolution of your brand from starting with your handbags and your accessories to your jewelry, fine jewelry, to essential oils. And then you also have services that you offer, meditation. You also do crystal healing. Where do you do these services? Like where could people find you? Well, they can find me online, but I have done different workshops at the Womb Center at Alchemist Kitchen at Urban Zen. I've done, I'm working with the assemblage now. I have, you know, I'm going to be part of the Well family. They're opening. You are. Yeah, Union Square. Where do you sell your product? We sell our product online. We sell it through Onda Beauty in New York. Okay. Uh, we did a collaboration with Madewell, so we have some products there. We sell to Bergdorf Goodman, Ten Corso Como, uh, Taryn Toomey. Fountain Blue in Miami, Sacred Space in Miami. We have spirituality seems to have been in your DNA. So where did that begin for you? It began at home with my mom. And my mother was always very progressive that way. You know, when I was eight years old, I was going to a holistic doctor, not exclusively. I was the only one bringing in like wheat bread and sprouts and avocado back when people were eating, you know, lunch meats on white bread. We never had sugared cereal, but I was never deprived. But she introduced these foods and nutrition and holistic medicine and different alternative practices. My grandmother went for acupuncture in the 70s. And then my mother also did EST, which is now considered landmark. And then before that, it was the forum, but it was consciousness training. So even though I was young, you know, she talked to me about it. And I just think through osmosis, Mm -hmm. it, it just kind of seeped into me. Yeah. (laughs) And she read a lot and it was just, it was something that was always there. And I remember even recently this thought came to me that it was like, whoa, when I was 17, I remember speaking on the phone to my friend's older sister who was 10 years my senior at the time. And she was asking me for advice about a guy. And I remember helping her in a very like grounded, mindful way. I was 17. I had no experience, but she came to me. And I, you know, I think about that now, like there must have been something in me then that wanted to help people. And so it had to find its place. And the jewelry, the jewelry is very personal. Mm -hmm. So it's not a coincidence that I was doing jewelry and not, you know, some other form of design. That was like my personal expression. And then the meditation. Which is funny because you didn't like, you weren't really into jewelry as right. a kid. Because, you know, as a child, you sometimes reject just to rebel. You know, it was part of red, maybe because it it did feel right on some level, but I didn't want to like it because right. my mother wanted me to, you right. know, so it was pure rebellion. Listen up, moms. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I think there's something about the jewelry that is not so 
far from the spirituality. I mean, look at my mom. She was doing all of that and then she pivoted into jewelry. For me, it was the opposite. I started in jewelry and then I pivoted into the, well, spirituality and wellness. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it had always been in me and it would just find different ways to come out, whether it was through helping a friend or just practicing on my own. But it was something that as I became more present and became more conscious, I noticed how alive I felt when I did it and when I helped people, when I shared. And, you know, I feel like I was put here to love, create and share. And now I feel like I'm doing that. So what are some like, so you're doing what you love. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're totally in alignment with. I do. Finally. I finally do. And how many years? (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's important because I think that as, you know, an entrepreneur, as a founder, as somebody who, you know, you start out, you're so young, you don't know what, you might know what you want to do and you start in one place and you you may not be in that place 20 years later, but like a lot of people have a hard time like letting go of the first place to get to the second place or, you know, evolving. Yeah. Well, the thing that I can tell you that I have learned is that every single thing that happens to you, good, bad, or otherwise, happens for a reason and to get you to the next level, to get you to that next stage. Nothing is a mistake. Nothing is an accident. Even, you know, the crisis that happened or mini crisis that happened with the jewelry and customs, it was, you know, a moment where I could say, okay, nobody died here. Where's the opportunity? And if we can learn to do that more instead of, you know, letting our emotions take over and just assuming everything is, you know, engaging in catastrophic thinking to kind of sit back. I mean, you're allowed to do that for 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 24 hour rule. Have yeah. a tantrum. Then you say, okay, you step back. Yeah. Just say, where is there an opportunity here for growth? Right. And sometimes these things are more often than not, they're hidden blessings. Yeah. And if you go back and think of different things that happened in your life that initially seemed like, you know, the worst thing ever, what good came of it? Because almost always something good comes from it. And what I've learned is never to be afraid of the unknown because the unknown will not disappoint. It's when we attach negative emotions to things that had happened in the past and we think that that's what's going to happen in the future. Which is something I think we're all guilty of doing. Of course. Yeah. Human I mean, nature. I just literally was putting together a program for a campaign and I was like, okay, I'm going to put together three scenarios and here are the three directions that this could go. A, it could be great. Yeah. B, they could love it and then do it themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and C, <laughs> they could not hire me to do it. Yeah. And also do it themselves but which you know like as an agency you know this yeah. is something that you know my ideas are my intellectual property yeah, yeah my intellectual property it's my, it's my currency my ideas you know and so i i recognized in that moment which was yeah. like really big of me in for myself i said you know i was like okay i'm really proud of you marnie because in the moment i'm like what am i doing why am i doing this this is not good i can't yeah. be in that mindset where i'm being negative already before i enter into the situation because you have to walk into a situation with a positive outlook and a positive mind or you can create the outcome you envision. Of course, because we become what we pay attention to. And I think that is a very powerful statement. When you're intentional and everything you do is aligned with that intention, that's what your reality will match that. And so now it is your intention 
to grow Gem Story. Correct. To build your meditation, Programs. your programs. Yeah. Are you going to be doing meditation programs at the, the well? well? I you hope are. so. I plan to. Yeah. So how many, when you do a meditation program, how many people can come to that program? Depends. I've done things at Alchemist Kitchen where they were they were sold out, which was very exciting because yeah. I didn't expect anybody to come. Lou was I on the podcast. Too. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, I love He was him. one of the earlier guests. Yeah. No, that was great. And then I've done for 30 people, for 40 people, for 10, for five, for three, for 12, you know, it really depends. And we were talking about earlier being a channeler and I feel that I'm a channeler of information. Mm -hmm. So I spend at least two hours a day studying and learning. And that's very important to me. That feeds my soul, that nourishes me and that kind of grounds me. So I feel that what I learn and what I study every day, I'm able to distill it and then share it in a way that's accessible and understandable and relatable. So I feel like that is part of what I'm here to do. Do you do that through reading or through listening or both? both? Okay. Both. So what are you reading right now? I'm all over the place. How many books do you read at one time? Well, (laughs) I'm usually reading one to two like actual books and we're talking about, you know, not four hours a day. Yes. But, you know, at night or if I have a few minutes in This transit. is the way we read. Exactly. You know, it's like a couple pages a night. Yeah. yeah. Until like my eyes close. But I listen to audiobooks and that for me is everything because, and podcasts. So when I'm tra- in transit, when I walk, when I drop my son off from school and it's a 20 minute walk home, I will listen for 20 minutes. I will sometimes in the office, if I'm working on something that doesn't require so much, you know, concentration, I'll listen to my audiobook. So now, I'm listening to Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Everybody's talking about that book and the book he wrote before too. Right. And his he's on a Netflix documentary called Heal, okay. which is excellent. I have to watch that. And then Emergence by Derek Riedel, which mm-hmm. I love as well. And I'm always reading a book in French. So I just finished uh, Dimanche en août, <laughs> Sundays in August in uh-huh. French. And I have another book on my shelf that I haven't started. But I also just finished Educated by Tara Westover. That's not in French. Not in French. <laughs> That's but a good idea. Brilliant. brilliant. What's it about? It is a memoir okay. written by a woman who had the most dysfunctional upbringing you could ever imagine. And didn't go to school until she was 17 and went on to be a Harvard graduate, Rhodes Scholar, you know, brilliant writer. Amazing. That sounds great. What was so powerful about the book is it really spoke to the human spirit of overcoming adversity. And when you look at somebody who you don't know how she survived that childhood period, let alone to become a renowned author, It's just so inspiring. I love listening to stories of adversity. To me, resilience is the most important thing you can teach a child. And so these different stories really speak to that. Yeah. I feel like, did you, do you feel like you learned that as a child? Resilience? Yeah. You know, I think yes and no. (laughs) In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. (laughs) I never understand the word no. I don't understand how something is impossible. Right. That's the entrepreneurial spirit. And I learned that as well. Yeah. Like, that's not resilience. What do you mean now? <laughs> we have to find a way. Of yeah, course, there's we can a solution. Always. Yeah. Well, the uh, leadership coach that I listen to, Robin Sharma, always says it's only a problem if you think it's a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing with like athleticism. So obviously, wellness is your routine that fuels you for success. But do you do anything else to stay fit and healthy? 
I do. I practice yoga. I go to the womb center and they do a multi-sensor yoga, which incorporates sight, sound, aromatherapy. They give you an elixir at the end and it's such a beautiful part of my week. That's amazing. That sounds awesome. I also do fly bar. Okay. And I do the occasional elliptical, treadmill, bicycle. So I kind of mix it up. Have you always done that your whole life? I've always done it. Yeah. The only thing I haven't done yet, which I'm so embarrassed to admit, is Soul Cycle. Oh, and there's one a block from my apartment. Well, I mean, I feel like that doesn't seem like your energy. I don't know. I feel Maybe. like I got to try it once. Yeah. You know, the other class I've been taking is Rumble. My son is dying for me to try that. Dying. As a matter of fact, well, they so got me for Mother's he's, Day. How old is he's your 12 son? And a half. He's 12 and a half. They got me for Mother's Day a gift certificate to one Rumble class. So maybe I'll go with you. So when is the well going to open? July 1st. Officially? Yeah, officially. Okay. So that'll be very exciting. And now I'm just working on refining my programming and just... And you're going to also sell Gem Story there. I'm going to sell Gem Story there. Yeah. And then we have a lot of plans for other things on the horizon. I can't speak about it yet, but it's very exciting. Page, Thank so you. So people can find you, pagenovic.com. www.pagenovic.com or Instagram. Instagram at Page Novik. This is awesome. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for coming and thank being Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.